Is there anybody alive out there? Is there anybody alive out there? Welcome to the E Street Cafe podcast. The cool, friendly place for great music chat. Hi everybody, this is Jeff Matthews. I have my good friend Dan French with me today. Hi Dan. Hey Jeff, uh, it's great to be uh, just just back from Barcelona. That was great fun, but uh, it's good to be home again. You look a bit gig weary. Our listeners <laughs> yeah. can't see, but I can tell that you've been battered and bruised a little bit, shackled and drawn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I ain't that young anymore. <laughs> no, okay. Let's see how many uh, Springsteen lyrics we can get into this podcast episode. <laughs> Uh, and welcome to all our listeners, of course. This is now season two. Thank you to all of you for supporting us in season one. Uh, you know how many downloads and listens we've had. It's absolutely taken us by storm, and we, we can't believe the support and loyalty we have from you. Keep listening. Keep telling everybody about uh, the podcast. We really appreciate it. So without further ado, let me just introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Eileen Chapman, who is the director of the Springsteen Archives and Center for American Music, and she's in New Jersey. Eileen, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Well, it's an honor for us too. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Good, good. And whereabouts in New Jersey are you specifically? So I live in Asbury Park. Uh-huh. However, the Bruce Springsteen Archives and Center for American Music is in West Long Branch, which is about seven minutes away. Uh-huh. So I have a very short commute to work, um, very close to the Asbury Park music scene, Freehold, and other um, areas of interest to Springsteen fans. So you must drive, it must be a scene from a musical history film, and you drive to work each day and you pass every single significant landmark in Bruce's career that we hear about and read in the books and you just do that every single day every day wow every day it's it's a part of my part of my uh, life (laughs) and DNA and landscape living the dream (laughs) living the dream exactly exactly. so for, for those of us who perhaps don't know what you do just tell us a little bit what is the Springsteen Archives and the Center for American Music what is it Sure. So the Bruce Springsteen Archives is the official repository for Bruce Springsteen's songs, written works, photographs, periodicals, histories, recordings, films, artifacts, memorabilia. We house about um, 40,000 items that have been collected over the last um, 22 or so years. This is a collection that began in the Asbury Park Library. It was initiated by Chris Phillips and and some others. Um, It was a way to preserve Springsteen documents and items. Um, And, of course, as Springsteen continued to tour and items continued to pour into the library, it quickly ran out of space. Okay. So it was something that I was watching closely at the time. I was there for the opening of the... um, library archives and and watched it grow i was actually managing the stone pony at the time so i'd been there for the opening and um just really kind of kept my finger on that pulse and when i saw it had grown outgrown the library items were now being held in in people's homes and the collection had grown to the point where it wasn't really accessible as a whole 
to fans and researchers. And so um, at that point, I had reached out to uh, Chris and other members of the Friends of the Bruce Springsteen Collection uh, to sort of pitch uh, Monmouth University as a place for the, where these archives could live and then become accessible. And um, so it took a while to work those uh, details out, but we ended up with this collection here at Monmouth University and wow. um, we're happy to have it here. It's been, it's been quite a journey. Brilliant. So the idea originally came from Chris at Backstreet's. Um, but I saw a, there was a quote on your website, I think, that mentioned about the amount of memorabilia that Adele, Bruce's mum, had in her basement or loft. Is that true? Did, did, did she store everything that we, 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 uh, we expect to, that she stored as a mum? As a loving mom? She did. She was the original Springsteen archivist. So <laughs> she's got some beautiful scrapbooks that follow Bruce's entire career. From wow, the time wow. he got signed, um, you know, it contained letters from um, Bruce's uh, record management people and tour management people saying things like, um, we had 400 people at our show tonight. We think your son's going to be a star. So it really did chronicle those early years and then all the way through his career. So she sort of, she was able to fill in the parts of, of Springsteen's career that weren't well known or nor well documented. So in, in terms of the material that she had or has, is the bulk of that now with you? Is it still with her or is it split across the locations? What happened to all of it? Yeah, so it's with us. Um, oh, we actually wow. have a couple of Adele scrapbooks in our Bruce Springsteen live exhibit. It's a traveling exhibit that is just um, finishing up at the Grammy Museum in, L in L.A. and going on to another couple of locations. Um, people just love to see those scrapbooks. You know, it's, it's sort of among the oldest bits of material that are, are you know, recorded material yeah. and archived material. So those are all very popular. When people come into the archives, they often want to see Adele scrapbooks as well. We have five of them that, um, you know, run the gamut of early 70s into the 80s. And we also have boxes of newspapers that haven't yet made it into scrapbooks that we're archiving that belong to Adele yeah. and the Springsteens as well. See, I, I think Dan and I are probably of the same vintage, uh, and I, I won't ask when you were born or how old you are, but I suspect that scrapbooks, certainly for me, had a very fond... Uh, I have fond memories of scrapbooks in the 70s because it's what we did. You know, this is all pre-internet, isn't it? And I can just imagine Bruce's mum, newspaper cuttings, gluing them into a book, pictures, photographs. It, it's what we did in the 70s, Dan, wasn't it? Definitely. I mean, when when I first became a music fan, I was I think one of my first interests was uh, was the band T Rex, and I was collecting exactly as you're describing uh, in the same way, like you know, back in the early seventies. So uh, yeah, I can just totally picture uh, Adele doing that, especially being, uh, as you say, a, a really proud mum. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you could see where some of these articles originated. So there would be um, letters from one of Adele's sisters that she would be sending newspaper clippings. Uh, Mike Appel and other managers, uh, Sony, Columbia Records at the time. You know, all of these people were sending all of their items to Adele so she could archive them. Fantastic. It's amazing. So you mentioned, just going back a few minutes ago, you mentioned there about access to the information. 
Um, is it available to anybody or is it limited access? Is it by appointment? How does it work? So it, everything is available to anyone by appointment. So this is a true archives in that every piece of material we have is um, goes into a database. Uh, we have finding aids and everything. Each item is then placed into an archival folder and into an archival envelope and then into an archival box. And so uh, we're all about preservation. We want to make sure that 100 years from now, people can still come and learn about the career of Bruce Springsteen and um, and his place in the landscape of, of American music. So everything is boxed up. Um, when people reach out to us, we ask them, what's your purpose for coming to the archives? You know, we want to know why they're coming. You're coming as a fan, a researcher. You know, why are you coming? Take a look at our list and tell us what you want to see. Give us box numbers and we'll take all the items out and stage them to get ready for visitors. What that also gives us the opportunity to do is to speak or have some sort of correspondence with each of these visitors to see if we can maybe enhance their visit in any way. So, for instance, if it's a fan and, and they, you know, provide us a list of materials, there may be items that are in our archives that we think they also might enjoy. You know, maybe they missed it on the list. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they were looking at magazines, didn't look at historic memorabilia or vice versa. So how could we make that visit better? Um, and for researchers, it, it's really important because we might be able to to get them first-person interviews. So we had a researcher who had come in uh, from Japan and she was doing her thesis on working class musicians in the 70s. And so we got her a, a, an interview with Vinny Lopez. Vinny was part of the band then. Um, yeah. We had another documentary film crew come in for Paris. We brought them to Tinker West's house so they could interview Tinker. I had a professor come in from Canada and I took him to the last upstage jam before that building closed down. Oh, wow. And so if there's any ways we can make people's visits better and more meaningful, that's what we're here to do because, you know, we know the subject, we know the archives, of course, we know the area. And so we're always looking to improve upon um, anybody's sense of, of what they think they're going to see when they, when they come to the archives. Eileen, I don't know, I'm sure you probably wouldn't remember, but uh, I actually had the privilege of coming to visit by appointment back in 2016, thanks to uh, our friend, our local friend Molly, um, with a couple of friends, um, sort of, you know, doing doing the, the tour, as you can imagine. And um, Jeff and I, our, our background, in, as very much as Bruce fans, was uh, as fanzine editors. So, of course, I was really intrigued to see your fanzine collection. And it was really exciting to see those and things like backstage passes from the original River Tour, which is very dear to our hearts. And um, yeah, just, and just as you say, just have that access by appointment. Um, I would recommend it to everybody. It's really, really special. Yeah. And everybody's got a different reason for wanting to come. You know, sometimes a family will come in with their young kids. They want the kids to see the music that they listened to, you know, when they were their age. Or sometimes the kids want to come in and say, hey, you know, my parents listened to this. I want to know more about it. Or for whatever reason people come in, they all have their reasons and we'll work with them to make, make it all a better experience. Brilliant. Brilliant. And you mentioned there one of the, the most important things is preservation. Um, 
So a bit of a silly question, really. But are, are we? If I came in today, am I looking at actual physical copies of backstage passes and tickets and letters, or am I looking at ele- electronic copies? No, you're looking at the real thing. Wow. So wow. you're you're. We have backstage passes. Um, you know, handwritten lyrics, um, all sorts of memorabilia, lots of posters, uh, magazines. You know, one of the funny things Adele did was, you know, Bruce came out on the covers of Time and Newsweek uh, at the same time. Adele glued them into the scrapbooks. So there's, you know, the scrapbooks contain items that are, um, you know, sort of high profile items that are all glued into these scrapbooks. It drove me a little crazy for a minute, but we have we have our own copies as well so with people coming in and out looking at the stuff how do you preserve against accidents how do you actually preserve the material because it sounds like a dangerous occupation and a nervous occupation trying to preserve everything especially the rarer items it is, but that's our job. That's what we're here to do. Yeah. So we, um, as I said, we will stage the boxes. We'll only let a person, there's a big table where people sit at and mm. I'm right there or someone else is right there. So we're watching everyone the whole time. We'll give them only five items to look at at a time. They can look at as many they'd like to during the day, but we only give them five items. We don't want things stacked on top of each other. We want to make sure we can keep our eyes on them. Um, visitors yeah. are only allowed to bring in a laptop and a pencil and loose okay. paper. So there's no place where people could hide items or take off with them. I mean, we're, we're pretty much sitting three feet away from, from everyone. Um, they have to come in and provide ID. They have to come in and wash their hands or wear gloves. There's a little bit of a controversy these days about whether the plastic gloves actually cause, um, you know, paper to deteriorate a little more because they're a little bit rough or if clean hands is the way to go. And so we're, we're sort of moving away from the gloves into the freshly washed hands in order to sure. um, view and, and handle these materials. But uh, preservation is our, our goal. And so we really make sure that everything is, is taken care of and left for generations to come. And absolutely no coffee at the table. No, no drinks or food in the archives house at all. Well, Water can... only outside on the porch. Oh, okay, okay. No, no Eastern Cafe at the archives. We're, we're in the cafe now, and there's one member of staff you certainly would not want to allow into the the, the archives, and that's uh, Sloppy Sue. She she works here in the cafe, and we have an instant every other podcast with Sloppy Sue. I think last time, what was it? She dropped the soup, didn't she, Dan? Oh, yes. So you definitely don't want to have Sloppy Sue in the archives at all. No, she's, she's been banned. You're listening to the East Street Cafe podcast. Come on in, because we're open all night. Listen, Rosie's here, and uh, she's asking me to pass on, would you like a drink, would you like a sandwich, um, anything that takes your fancy at this time? I think it's uh, lunchtime for you, Eileen. It is lunchtime for me. I would love just a cup of tea. A cup of tea? It's English tea, breakfast tea, perhaps. English breakfast um, okay. is perfect. 
Right, Rosie's straight. I'm an Earl Grey fan, so any kind of tea, caffeine helps to get me through the day. Excellent. Rosie's straight on that now, and that'll be with you shortly. That's good. And uh, you're living in Asbury Park, and I believe you've been there since 1974. Is that right? 1974. You got that spot on. Oh, so you're a true Jersey girl, very much through and through. And, um, um, yeah, I believe, as Jeff says, that you, uh, amongst um, various uh, uh, other things that you've done uh, in that time, obviously, um, before the uh, the archives, uh, you were actually manager of the Stone Pony. That must have been quite some memorable experience. It was um, a quite a memorable experience. It was it was a great gig. Um, you know, before that, I had managed Mrs. J's, which was right next door. Um, and so I you know, was neighbors to the Stone Pony adjacent building. And, you know, we were all friends and cohorts. And, you know, we had our back door, the Stone Pony had the back door. And so we're always in and out and and sort of visiting each other. And then um, I went on to open the first compact disc store in New Jersey. Uh, And then um, in, in the year 2000, the building was being sold. So I closed up um, and went on to manage the Stone Pony then before coming here to Mama. So it was a lot of fun. A lot of the same Pony people were still around. Um, You know, we have our own Facebook group, Pony People and Back Park Bar People. And, um, you know, we're still still a family. Any particular special memories from the Pony? Oh, so many. But, you know, I think probably the summer of Bruce's Sunday rehearsals before the Born in the USA tour was among, you know, among one of the favorite, my favorite times. You know, it wasn't just a one off. He was there every week. And we would I was at Mrs. J's then and and Bruce would start playing and we just close down and just (laughs) run through the back door next door. We'd like push the clock ahead and say, "Okay, last call, everybody out and and run off. So that was that was great. You know, there were so many great shows there. Ronnie Spector did an, a, an amazing show there. Um, of course, the Jukes broadcast, Southside and the Jukes big WNEW broadcast was pretty spectacular. Um, John Bon Jovi, Bruce and Southside doing, you know, music mm. videos in there. So there mm. were just so many, so many great times it's hard to even imagine sometimes i have to go back and look through my stone pony posters to even remember you know what was going on there but uh dan and i have both been to the but i went in 84 i went across to the meadowlands gigs in 84 and um during one of the off nights we went to the stone pony and i think john eddie might have been playing at the time um but dan you were lucky enough to be there was it one or two years before with beaver brown when bruce turned up I was very lucky. Uh, it was Cats on a Smooth Surface. I don't even remember, remember this. And it was the end of that, that club hopping summer, as we called it, 1982. Um, it was with a great local friend, our, our dear our friend Holly Cara, who's sadly no yes. longer with us. But she um, she was showing me around, bless her. And it was, uh, it was so unexpected because she was convinced from her information that Bruce had actually finished for the summer. And had headed to the West Coast to work on what we knew, eventually found out, would become Born in the USA. But, um, you know, so he'd basically been doing, as you say, you know, pretty much every weekend and all kinds of uh, 
um, appearances. So, but I was happy just to go and kind of soak up the atmosphere. I'd never been to the Stone Pony, and um, you know, just sit there and enjoy the uh, um, the Cats gig that was the band that he was playing with a lot of the time. And then before we knew it, the, the second set of three, the word sort of you know spreads right like wildfire around the room. You know, Bruce is here. Bruce is here. And everyone's you know, thinking, well, where is he? Where is he? Because obviously he, you know, he blends in so easily. And then before we knew it, you know, he's um, he'd normally come on to do you know, two or three encores, for example. But this time he just sort of opened the set and played this entire sort of hour-long set um, with with Cats. Um, you know, a couple of hundred people watching. I think it cost maybe, I don't know, sort of five bucks or something <laughs> to get in. And just uh, totally um, an amazing bonus from my trip and unexpected because we thought he was away. Um, and still, you know, one of the most memorable live gigs of my life. And, you know, we have the Holly Carroll Price collection at the archives. You do. Bless yes. you. That's so wonderful. Yeah. So she... we're going through it now. We're cataloging it now. You know, there are, I think, like eight boxes of, of material from Holly because she had such a prolific career. Mm. She was another collector, you know, like us. I mean, we're, we're all archivists at heart. So uh, that's a great tribute to her. Yeah. We were saying in a previous episode in season one, um, me and Dan as fanzine editors had Paul Limbrick on from Jackson Cage as well. And the three of us said every single episode, again, you've got them there at the archives. If you look at them in the credits section, Holly Cara is in every single episode. And she didn't send the same stuff. She sent different material to, to different editors. So there's no duplication at all. And she just wanted, and this is in the days pre-internet as well, Eileen, you know, she was posting stuff to us. And Paul was telling the story how um, she actually sent on, I think it was a New York Yankees T-shirt for his newborn baby or something. At the time, she just had a heart of gold. And, um, Amazing, yeah, not with us anymore. Yeah, she did. And she was really boots on the ground. She was cataloging so much history. Mm. You know, she's one of those people who really saw it and lived it and, and was able to save it for, for us and for others. Yeah, yeah. Amen. So going back a little while ago, you hosted a very special event, the American Music Honours. Um, and we were talking to Mark Ribbler, actually. Uh, we had an episode with Mark probably a few weeks before the awards. And um, I know he was very excited about what was coming up. So what was your experience? Tell us about the night and the evening. Yeah, so I could tell you, first of all, that initially although we were planning to do it this year, in our minds, we had already put it off till next year. Yeah. Um, and then Bruce came over here to the archives and, and um, spent some time here and we started talking about it. And he said, yeah, let's, let's just do it. And so we had like six to seven weeks to plan this extravagant evening. Um, and, and that day we spoke about, you know, uh, honorees and, and, you know, knowing we only had weeks to plan this, you know, how, how are we going to, how are we going to um, pull that off? And so it was a deep dive. We, I, th I feel like we all worked 24 seven for, for six weeks. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. We had this um, a great um, reception in the great hall here at Mammoth. And I don't know if you've ever been in that building, but if you've ever seen the movie Annie, it was Daddy Warbucks house. It's this huge mansion. So the setting okay. for the reception for an intimate 500 people and then um, the show in the Pollock Theater for 700 people. Um, it was truly an amazing night. I mean, everybody really pulled together 
to, um, you know, really make this inaugural show the best it could possibly be. Of course, Mark Ribbler and um, Disciples of Soul, you know, Mark jumped right on it, you know, started <laughs> rehearsing the band. Uh, you know, they were going to be doing songs they'd never done before because, you know, they were doing songs that the honorees were suggesting. Absolutely. So yeah. Mark jumped on it. Um, uh, the wardrobe people jumped on it because, of course, this was not just a concert. This was a full production with wardrobe, hair and makeup. I mean, it was really um, incredible. And so we had reached out then to um, Sam Moore mm. uh, and Darlene Love and um, Steve Earl. And of course, Stephen, you know, we had reached out to Stephen first. You know, we knew they were going to be home. Um, and Bruce had told us early on he would present Stephen with the honor and uh, uh, Southside Johnny for um, Sam Moore, Patty Scalfa for Darlene Love and Gary Talent, of course, for Steve Earl. And yeah. so, um, you know, everybody jumped on board. We worked with the artists to talk about um, what songs that they wanted to perform, what songs did they want to be played instrumentally as they were walking to the stage in the perfect world, if there was going to be a jam, what song would they want to play with their fellow artists and honorees and presenters. And so um, it was a, it was a lot of fun and a lot of work to put it together, but the show turned out. And then, of course, we found out during the week that Patty um, Scalfa had tested positive for COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and then the morning of the show, and I was at the this Springsteen show in Newark the night before. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we had, you know, of course, everybody there knew Patty wasn't going to make it, but Bruce was still going to make it at that point. And then in the morning, he tested um, himself and tested positive for COVID. Nice. And so wasn't able to be there, but then suggested, hey, why don't I do this video? And so that was another component to, it became another component to this event that Bruce um, acknowledged um, Darlene Love and Steven via video that we were able to play there at the, at the event. Um, well, why don't we just have a little listen to that uh, clip from Bruce right now? My pal, little Steven Van Zandt who it feels like I just saw last night, is a pure rock and roll animal. He does it all. He is a singer. He is a great guitarist, a songwriter, a band leader, great producer, performer, actor, activist. He runs a record company. And then there's the clothes, the fashion. He does all of this in pursuit of a greater vision of the music that moved him so much as a youngster. Now, Steve and I, we met at the Hullabaloo Club, just 30 minutes from here in Middletown, New Jersey. And my world has never been the same. I found my rock and roll partner in crime forever. Yes, we like the same music. Yes, we like the same bands. And I suppose at one time, we like the same clothes, but we became each other's biggest fan. That's all I know. I discovered Stevie singing the Turtles happy together, wearing an oversized tie and top hat fronting his band, The Shadows. There was just something about this guy. We became fast friends and traveled on weekend trips together to Greenwich Village, 
on the local bus debating all things rock and roll. Now, with Steve Van Zandt, as in all things in his life, rock and roll was an all or nothing proposition. You either believed or you didn't. Now, Steve and Southside Johnny's residency at the Stone Pony was the essential center of a small but mighty music scene outside of New York City in faraway Asbury Park. We were locals and we believed in localism. New Jersey was where we were from. And in New Jersey, what was played was rock and soul music. Steve's own musical blueprint was laid out on that first Southside Johnny Records, and it's come into full fruition with his latest rock and soul masterpiece, Summer of Sorcery. In between is a life well-lived, a legend that both happened and was carefully sculpted, and great music. Men Without Women, Steve's debut, was first-class garage soul. And being Steve, of course, wasn't enough to put out his first album. He had to make a movie with it. And so he did. And this is the story of my pal, Steve Van Zandt, a guy who does what he wants with nothing and figures out the problems later. Now, there's an upside to this, because all I know is Steve had his name on his plane on his last tour. I don't have my name on my plane. Steve once told me that rock and roll and politics should never mix. And then the two of us went to East Berlin through Checkpoint Charlie in 1980. And Steve came back to the United States with a fierce activism. One of the essential places he focused his energies on was the apartheid government in South Africa. And he created a groundbreaking organization called Artists Against Apartheid. His Teach Rock organization brings music and the history of rock and roll back into the classroom. None of this could have been done without the love and support of his fabulously lovely and incredible wife, Maureen. Thank you, Maureen. Now, I could go on all night about little Steven, but I'll let him do that. Steve, I love you. Congratulations. I'm proud to present to you the inaugural American Music Honors Awards. Have a great night, pal. Bringing John Stewart on as MC, you know, he's just so much fun and, and so brilliant and also local that he was able to come on board and really warm up the crowd and um, sort of take people's focus off the whole COVID issue. Um, yeah. It was just an amazing night. Everybody was grateful to be there. Uh, so many of those artists hadn't seen each other in a while, so it was a real homecoming for a lot of them. Uh, Southside Johnny was a huge Sam Moore fan, you know, growing mm. up and just, yeah. was, you know, over over the moon, uh, being able to sit be on the same stage with him. So it was a really amazing night. Everyone played together at the end. We did film it. Um, and we will be, well, first of all, I'd like to see it because I barely saw the show. But I think, you know, we're mm -hmm. going to do some kind of screening at some point. Um, 
PBS uh, TV is going to be doing a segment um, called Soundcheck, and they will they interviewed each of the honorees and presenters the, the day of the event during rehearsals, and we're going to provide them some footage, and they're going to release this as a PBS special um, probably in June or July and keep it okay. um, out there for a couple of years. They're going to release it to other PBS stations as well. Great, great. Excellent. And then moving forward, what, what kind of frequency are we likely to see on such awards evenings is it going to be annual is it going to be just as and when it will be annual okay and also in this in october of this year we have the 50th anniversary of the wild the innocent in the east street shuffle symposium so yeah. we did greetings um in january mm -hmm. we'll be doing um the wild the innocent in the east street shuffle in october already working on that and then in 74 it's the opening of the stone pony and the bottom line and so those are things we're going to be able to focus on the following year. So each year we're looking to focus on, a, you know, some sort of anniversary, uh, you know, some high profile anniversary, and then also American music honors. We don't have the date for that yet. Um, you know, we're working around tour schedules and, and other things. So I'll let you know when it's. Uh, when it's yeah, over. absolutely. The E Street Cafe podcast. Friendly chats, great stories, interesting guests. Hit the follow button and remember, this is not a dark ride. Yeah, Eileen, uh, I remember we talked a little while ago, um, I think when you were planning the Springsteen Live exhibit, that you had hoped to maybe see if there was any chance that it could travel uh, abroad, maybe to Europe. Do you think that's something that might happen with uh, exhibits in the future? I hope so. You know, COVID kind of threw a wrench into our whole exhibit schedule. So initially it was to do six states in the United States and three in Europe. But when mm -hmm. museums closed down, it sort of screwed with their scheduling and and um, things changed in the museum world. And so we, we've had it in Newark at the Prudential Center. We've had it at the Woody Guthrie Center. It is now at... Um, um, the Grammy Museum in LA. We have two other locations. I just can't talk about them yet because I haven't seen the contract yet, mm -hmm. but we have two other dates and, uh, and then we'll so, see where it goes from there. Different kind of logistics going international, isn't it? Staying within the States, it's probably a little bit easier to manage, but going international is a bit harder. Definitely. And, you know, we have some pretty old artifacts in there, you know, including mm -hmm. one of Adele's scrapbooks and Bruce's, you know, yeah. iconic Fender and, and some other, you know, some of their artifacts that, um, you know, we really bumped up the insurance on this to, you know, even in the United States. But yeah, and we'd like to keep it into English speaking countries because we don't have to worry about translating text panels and, and other, um, cool. you know, interactives or anything. So, yeah, I mean, we're still ready to go. So if you have any connections, let us know. Yeah, we will do. We will do. And, and I think what's really interesting is that when we hear, things like the anniversaries coming up, the symposium that you had and the awards and all these kind of things. It's times when me and Dan especially wish that we weren't in the UK and we lived around New Jersey, especially <laughs> with the experiences that we've had in the past. But similarly, you know, we've we've hosted a couple of people across in Liverpool recently, didn't we, last year? And we, we took them around a graveyard to see Eleanor Rigby's grave and they were in awe. I'm going, it's a gravestone. <laughs> you know? And we went down to um, the Cavern Club where the little, little Stephen and the Disciples played in 2017. And, you know, you got the bricks in the wall in, in honour to all different musicians. And I was born in Liverpool and I 
used to walk down that street every day and you know you drive <laughs> to Asbury from Asbury Park every day you know so we we kind of have this reciprocal awe I guess you know you in New Jersey we're in I've been in Liverpool so I, I totally get it but there's times where I wish I spent more time in New Jersey yeah, so I've I've done the whole Liverpool tour, and we oh, yeah. actually tried to create a sister city relationship with Liverpool and Asbury oh, Park. Wow. Um, I'm going to say about four years ago, we met with the mayor and and had some conversations, and then something politically fell apart. And oh, had, I know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> so whatever. We had to then sort of abandon that. Um, you know, it's always a possibility in the future. We have so much in common. You know, you've got the Cavern Club. We had the Upstage Club. And yep. there was another place we went to where the Beatles used to play. It was a, in a basement of a house. I don't remember. Oh, it's the cafe, the coffee house. The um, Oh, the name escapes me. The coffee house that we nearly went to down a few years ago. And COVID All right. Went to it. Uh, yeah, really yeah. loved the things. Um, I went there. I went to John Lennon's house. I did the whole thing as well. And I yeah, found yeah. it really exciting myself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So just going back to the archives for a second, um, I'm really intrigued by, you mentioned before about the Japanese student that came across to um, learn about blue coral rock in the 70s, I think your words were. Yeah. Um, and there, there is certainly an edge. I, I'd love to see um, rock and roll history embroidered into curriculum um, for children because I think, um, I can't remember, I think it was Mark Ribbler was talking about Little Stevens indulgence into musical history and, and you look at the the work he did with teach rock mm. when he was touring and for me i think little steven is so revered in amongst his peers as the guru that they're the rock and roll historian and i think the education i just wonder if there's anything else you can do or anything you are doing to promote the educational element especially with all all the material that you've got so we're partnering with teach rock and we're looking right. at um, school districts in Long Branch, because that's where the archives sit, Asbury mm. Park and Freehold. So those are municipalities that we'll be focusing on for curriculum. We actually have a call this week with Bill Carbone from uh, Teach Rock we've met before. We're getting ready to announce the partnership. So this is a little ahead of it. Um, we're actually creating our press release. By the time it goes out, it won't. It'll be all right. <laughs> but at the at the um, American Music Honors event, Stephen spoke so eloquently about the need for music curriculum and took a lot of people in the audience by surprise. So I think a, a lot of the attendees to American Music Honors didn't realize how much he had done and does for yeah. music education. Mm -hmm. yeah. We also hire Monmouth University students in the archives. So we have about eight or nine students that work with us at any given time. They learn how to curate exhibits. They learn how to archive. Um, they've worked all of these events with us. You know, they've all met Bruce. It's, it's um, mm -hmm. you know, and they love the work. They love getting all this new material in. You know, we get donations in periodically and um, the students really enjoy that. You know, it, it's history to them. And, and mm. you know, initially when I hire them, I think they're going to be bored in 10 minutes and they're going to want to leave because they're filing papers, <laughs> but they tend to really love it. And then we work with our, um, we have some professors here who teach uh, museum studies. They have students help us with oral histories. 
Um, they've conducted oral histories. They've transcribed them. We've worked with um, Middletown South High School, which is where Stephen went to school. They created a documentary called Sonic Highways. So at any given point, if we can engage students in any way, that's something we really look forward to. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, yeah, as, 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 as we're saying, the, the educational aspect, I think a lot of people have assumed that this is, just, you know, very much sort of purely for fans and so forth. But um, I think that's just so special and, and obviously for the long term. And I think if you'd said to me, you know, back in the, um, when I was a student back in, in the late 70s, that uh, in the future there'd be somewhere where you could go, um, you know, on, a, on a, an academic basis as a Springsteen fan and, and be involved in the way you've been, you described, you know, I wouldn't have believed it. It's just fantastic. It really is. Yeah, it's a great opportunity for the students who work here, too, because we give them the latitude to come up with some ideas, some initiatives. So one of our students said, you know, I want to really rework the whole vinyl collection. Let's get different boxes. You know, let's do that. And we let them do that because it's, it's a benefit to the archives and engages them. It gives them something to do. And they learn in the meantime. So however we can en engage students and, and interest in, in, you know, music history, we're all about it. I tell you what, a lot of people will probably say you've got the dream job because I know you're a big Springsteen fan as well. So you, you just didn't you didn't want a non-Springsteen fan doing your job, do you? You really do want somebody coming along who 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 lives and breathes the music uh, as you do. Yeah, and you know what? Many people, especially visitors from out of the area, have a lot of questions, and yeah. you need someone who knows the subject in order to be able to, like, you know, speak. Uh, about Bruce and and his you know years here and um, just local music history, right? Yeah. People want to know about local music history. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and certainly you know I'm, I'm speaking now from from England, and about a third of our listeners are from England. I'd say another third are from Europe or the rest of the world, and a third are probably from America. That's how it splits off. But I guarantee that we have one thing in common: we all have a thirst for knowledge. And yeah. memories, and and it probably leads me now on, on to uh, one of my final questions, which is: Have you got a particular item within the archives that you think is either very rare or very special to you, like a favorite piece? Yeah, yeah. So there, so we have a poster. It's from the Castiles from 1967 when they played at a coffee club called the left foot in freehold with two other bands the jams and the clan this poster was hand drawn and hand colored by bobby alfano who was the keyboard player for the castiles it's one of a kind it doesn't what? exist anywhere else and george Reese, who was the lead singer for the castiles kept this in his attic until <sighs> i'm going to say six months before he passed away we did his oral history and he brought us the poster and wow. you'll never see another one anywhere else uh, and you certainly won't see and you certainly won't see it on ebay that's for sure <laughs> no never we also recently Bruce, i'm going to say about a year ago sent us over um handwritten lyrics to a song all man the guns for america who where he believes these are his oldest handwritten lyrics wow it was from 1967 um so another one of a kind. We have some. Yeah. We have some other one of a kind pieces that you're never going to see anywhere else. But um, mm -hmm. those two stand out for me. 
I'm in awe, Dan. Are, are you? I'm in awe. I feel like we need to go back. We need to go back. Blowing, yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, Eileen, we're going to play the E Street Shuffle with you. Um, for, for those listeners uh, tuning in for the first time, this is an opportunity for us to ask our guest uh, random quickfire questions. And um, we just shuffle the cards. We see what comes up. It's probably the point in the podcast where our guests look slightly nervous because they don't know what's coming up. We don't know what's coming up. But guess what? It always works, Dan, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's just for fun. It's just for fun, yeah. Okay, you can always edit me out, remember. Let's play the E Street Shuffle. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I actually have asked you the first one. I I, I, um, came up with a new random card today, which was your your special item within the archives, which which you've just talked about. Um, One down. Sorry, say again? I said one down. One down. One down, one down. Let's have a shuffle. Okay, what was the first concert you ever went to? In my entire life? Yep. Yep. Uh, and so what constitutes a concert? Is it a local band or no, a major a act? No, it doesn't have to be Bruce. It doesn't have to be a major act. Just your first music gig. So when I was a young kid, we grew up in this house that had big house. It had a stage in the basement. And so my older sister's boyfriends and friends used to come practice on this stage. But also the people next door to us, and I must have been about 10 years old, Frankie Valley from the Four Seasons used to also rehearse in their yard. So that was probably my first exposure to music. Wow. So I grew up listening I'm one of five girls. Every one of us had a record player and records in the rooms, as yeah. did my parents in the living room. So I grew up in a house where music was being played in multiple rooms of different genres at any given time. Can you can you pin a date on that? I thought you weren't going to ask me my age. I wasn't asking you. That was the date of the first concert. Let's just say it was in the 60s. Okay, okay, great. That's okay. Um, what's the top of your bucket list, Eileen? So the top of my bucket list, non-musical, right? Anything. Anything at all. I think it has to be to visit more European countries. Okay. Okay. And any particular favorites? No, though I was supposed to be coming to Dublin tomorrow, but I needed to put that trip off because of other things going on here. But, um... No, I don't know that I have any favorites. I just need to get out and explore more. Yeah. Well, okay. I think we, we could recommend uh, Sweden and Gothenburg in particular, couldn't we, Jeff? Yeah, we're going to be in Gothenburg together watching uh, the shows going on at the Ulleve Stadium. Um, Dan's done it plenty of times. I haven't done it. It's uh, That's probably my top of my musical bucket list. And I heard those are epic shows. I heard that they are the shows to go to. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, we, we always have this debate about which are the best shows. And um, I think... Didn't we say, like, the, almost collapse the stadium there? Wasn't there, like, so many Stadium breaker. <laughs> yeah. Stadium breaker show, yes. Dan, Dan's got the T-shirt. <laughs> you can send it to the archives when you're finished with it, Dan. Yeah. That's, that's a promise. You'll have it. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, a couple more for you. Um, if you could invite two dinner guests round, who would they be? Uh, past, present, or living dead? Oh, only two? Yeah. I don't know. Don't worry about the pause. Like, 
parents. worry about the pause. I can edit the pause down. Probably my parents. I would have to say my parents who are no longer with us. Okay, that's nice. That's nice and simple. Or maybe, uh, maybe my first ancestors to come to the United States to find out why they came. Okay, that's yeah. a great one. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah. Came from Waterford into New York, and why did they come here? Ah, come right. Here? So there's the Irish connection there again. Yeah, so I've I've got quite a few in Ireland actually. Okay. Different different places throughout Ireland. So you're not Eileen McChapman, are you? I'm not. I was Eileen Shiel. So the Shiel part of my family came from Galway. Yeah, yeah. Oh, beautiful part of the world. Love yeah. The Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to Dublin and I've been to Cork, but I need to explore more of Ireland. I need to get to the West Coast. There's things I need to do that that stunning place are stunning. on my bucket list. Yeah. Okay, final question for you. Um, if you could be a member of the East Street Band for one night, who would it be? I'm going to go with Susie. I always wanted to learn how to play the violin. Very okay. good choice. Yeah, well, we, we have to make the assumption that you would have learned by the time you walk on stage because you can't <laughs> learn whilst you're on stage. I think Bruce might trick you off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, okay, we haven't had Susie before, have we? That's the yeah. first for Susie. Let's hear it for okay. Susie. There you go. It's quite funny. We were talking to Nikki Germain. Uh, I know you know Nikki, and uh, we asked her the same question. And what was her answer, Dan? Can you remember it? It, it obviously wasn't Gary. <laughs> I'm it surprised was... it wasn't Gary. <laughs> I think maybe we should just tell people to go and listen to the, to the episode. Yes. Yeah. There yeah, you go. Yeah. So I'm a little bit too shy to be up in front. You know, I, I sort of would like being sort of in the back. And so Susie makes perfect sense. She plays such an incredible uh, violin and really is yeah. such a big part of that band. So I'm going with Susie. And you know what? For me, I, I like the addition of Susie into the band because it takes me back to if you listen to the 1975 radio broadcast from the main point with Suki Lahav. Right. It really just takes you back, I think, to that era. In, in some kind of strange way. Um, but yeah, yeah, good choices, good choices. I'm a strings person. Yeah, me too. We were, we were speculating um, when this podcast kicked off. I think it might have been in the very first episode, Dan, and we were saying what were the expectations for the tour. And Dan said, I would love a string section. Oh, you know? yeah. Um, even just for a leg of the tour and go back mm. and play New York City Serenade, it, it would be beautiful secret garden as well yeah, yeah. I got new york city serenade um in australia i had to wait i don't know how many years it was and to go halfway around the world to finally get a, a show with strings but it was it was worth I the love, wait love strings i recently saw the eagles do um a show where they had like a 50-piece string section in a choir and it just Ooh. blew me away did it yeah good good western stars with strings oh. yeah <laughs> oh yeah you can only help you can only help so, Eileen, this has been a lovely chat, and I, I, I want to be your deputy. I think I want to be your assistant. You know, I, Me too. I'm yeah. <laughs> going over. I can use a team. Okay, okay. Well, um, we won't bring Rosie over or Sloppy Sue. We, we'll, we'll bring me, Dan, Mike, and the, and the boys, and um, we promise to work not to kind of um, put our noses into the archives and dig around. We really will <laughs> like to help you out. But, uh, listen, if you ever come across to the UK or Europe, um, with the archives, um, if we can help in any way, if any of our listeners can help in any way. Um, what specific help are you looking for? Are you just looking for contacts in terms of how you can do it? 
Yeah. So, you know, we're always looking for items for the archives, items that we don't already have. Um, So we have a a list on our website of of items and artifacts that we do have, but we're always looking to fill in those pieces that we don't, um, you know, we're always looking for exhibit pieces. Uh, Right now, Freehold is doing an exhibit on on baseball and freehold. And so, you know, there's always exhibits that happen that just sort of require unique pieces. So um, always donations of items and um, connections. And, uh, you know, as I said, we're going to be doing these other events while the innocent. So, you know, anybody who might've been boots on the ground during, during that era that, you know, maybe would, sit on a panel or provide, you know, maybe photographers or filmmakers or, or anything of the sort. We're always looking to collaborate. And as, as, this, tol- uh, as this tour evolves as well, um, there's going to be more and more newer material coming as well, isn't there, I guess, which you want to get your hands on at some point. Yes, any sort of, um, you know, newspaper articles, reviews, posters. Yeah, okay. Bumper stickers, any, anything, and and it's great to have things from other countries because people come to visit from other countries. And they always tend to want to see items from their particular hometown. Yeah, yeah, okay. And can you remind our listeners of the website address where we can um, find that list and also how we can contact you? Yep, SpringsteinArchives.org is our website, and I'm at. E. Chapman, E-C-H-A-P-M-A-N, at springsteenarchives.org. Fantastic. Thank you. So just to wrap up this episode, I'd like to, first of all, thank Dan for joining us again. Um, he's uh, a little bit tour-weary. He's uh, He's been seeing Bruce the last few days. Um you can't see him, but I can see him. He's still smiling. He's got a great big beam across his face because um, he's just come back from two gigs. So he's a very happy man. I got the uh, Bruce glow. <laughs> yes, you got the Bruce glow. <laughs> Plenty of Bruce juice to keep you going. Eileen, we've heard so much about the work you've been doing, and uh, it's been an honour to speak to you today. We really do wish you all the best for this coming year and certainly all the anniversaries coming up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some very, very exciting anniversaries coming up over the next couple of years, especially Born to Run coming up before you know it as well, isn't it? Yeah. 50 years. Yeah. So thank, thank you for joining us. I hope you've had a good time and we went easy on you. You did. You guys were great. Thank you. It was an honour to be here and, and actually come face-to-face with two of my favourite people. Hey, and thanks to everybody for listening as well. And uh, we'll be back with you very soon on the next episode. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to hit that follow button. This podcast was brought to you by Geezers in Glasses Productions.